After a tumultuous and frightening week of catastrophic wildfires, Oregonians finally have a chance to breathe, literally and figuratively. But for thousands of families, there's no home to go back to. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with You Oregonian. Later in the show, we'll hear from several Oregonians who are directly affected by the fires. But first, the Oregonian and Oregon Lives, Jamie Goldberg and Samantha Swindler, talk about their experiences covering the Riverside Fire, which raced through Clackamas County and led to widespread evacuations in the state's third most populous county. Here's Jamie and Samantha. Jamie Goldberg, Samantha Swindler, thanks so much for all of your reporting the last week and for taking time to talk today. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Sure, yeah. Jamie, maybe we'll start with you. What was it like to report from, you know, what was a massive evacuation area, you know, not too far away from where all of us live and work? Yeah, I, I think you, you look at so many people, uh, they were just trying to get information. They didn't know where to go. It, it, I, I feel like I went to the Clackamas Community College first um, on the first day I was out there, and there were cars all over the parking lot, people sitting in their cars talking to each other. Um, there was people inside. They had a, had a shelter set up there with cots. Um, they ended up having to move that shelter later on because uh, as the fires grew, that became a level two evacuation zone. Mm. Um, but I think there was just so much uncertainty. Um, I, I ended up almost serving as a, uh, directing people. People were coming out of their cars, asking where they're supposed to go, where they can go to find shelter. And I was trying to direct them in the right areas. Um, uh, almost not being a reporter in that moment because I, I think there were a lot of people that didn't want to talk to reporters. They they wanted to focus on figuring out where they were going to spend the night and, and it just wasn't a priority for them to share their stories in that moment. There were also a lot of people that were willing to share their stories and uh, the kind of things we heard, I, I think, you know, it's really difficult to hear. I had people that were crying, people that were talking about the potential of losing homes that had been in their family for years, fam- um, family homes where there were four or five people living in the, the main home, but there might have been a, another part of the family living in an RV outside. I, so the entire family's there, and they don't know if they're going to be able to go back there. They don't know if that's going to exist anymore. Um, me and Samantha also went to the fairgrounds where there was livestock. And at mm. that time they were wondering if they were going to have to find a new place for all the livestock to go. And there was a thousand animals there. Um, there was a one couple, uh, one family we spoke to that had 20 animals. Uh, some of them were inside the fairgrounds. Some, the dogs, the guinea pigs, the rabbits were out with them camped out right outside the fairgrounds. And they were planning to stay there for as long as they had to, because they had nowhere else to go. So it was just a very difficult situation. I think on top of everything that's happened this year, it's been a very tough year for a lot of people. And to then have these fires and have people that are already struggling and already facing their own challenges now have to evacuate and wondering if their homes are going to survive. I think it was tough to be a reporter out there. Samantha, what what about you? You live in Clackamas County and, you know, didn't have to go far down to to see some of these um, people and families that Jamie mentioned were going through just uh, incredible emotional duress. Yeah, um, I live in Milwaukee and I had noticed in the parking lot of the nearby strip mall by my house that there were a couple of RVs 
And then like the next day, there were a couple of more RVs and um, people like hanging out in the parking lot where the Albertsons closed down. And I was like, oh, I bet those are people evacuating from fires. So I went over there and talked to some folks. And yeah, they they were people who had come from Malala, Canby area, Oregon City even, who mm. were just finding places in Milwaukee to camp out. This is such a shock. Um, now we're like a week into it, a week away from the really the, the beginning of this really traumatic event, I guess, that kind of swept through the state. But emotionally, how were people handling it? Were they in shock? Did people seem like they just couldn't believe what was happening? Or was it, I mean, just describe the emotions. I think it depended um, on the people I spoke with and, and also it, maybe how long they had been out there, whether whether they were kind of settling into what was a difficult situation. I, I think those that I spoke with that were just arriving, um, there was a lot of shock. Um, but at, I, I was actually surprised at uh, Clackamas Town Center. I, I, I think people were trying to stay optimistic. Um, I, I spoke with one couple that was just talking about how thankful they were for the security uh, personnel at Clackamas Town Center, for the Red Cross, for providing them food, for uh, for other people there coming to check on them, making sure they were okay. Um, and they seemed, they were trying to be pretty positive, but they were out there camping. They had their car. They didn't even have an RV. They were camping on an inflatable bed right out there in the parking lot. The one positive you saw were, were people trying to help other people, staff members, volunteers trying to, um, help evacuees and maybe that added a you know a level of positivity for some people that were facing difficult situations but I, I also think yeah that there was a lot of shock a lot of fear out there I, people just didn't know what was going to happen with their homes and with their futures Samantha what have you heard um, if anything from people you talked to in the last week have you followed up do you know whether people's homes or properties are safe um, yeah, I do try to kind of stay in touch with folks. Um, I actually, Jamie, do you remember George Wyland, the guy with the dog who yeah. we met at Camby? Um, his neighbor emailed me and said that his house was okay. So he lost his barn, but, uh, George's house is okay. Just FYI, if you were wondering, cause, um, that was kind of a tough interview. Yeah. Can you tell us more about George? I remember that, that video, but um, where is he from? And, and could you re- tell us a little bit about about him? Jamie, I don't remember. Gosh, was he from Malala? Forgive me. Yeah, I think he was <laughs> from Malala, right outside Malala. Um, he had been evacuated. He was living, um, he lives on his family farm that's been in his family farm for generations. And he's lived there in his entire, his entire life. He's, I believe, in his 70s. Um, so he evacuated and then he went back the next day to just check on what was going on at the property. And he learned that his barn had been destroyed, but that his house at that time was okay. But he was very worried because the fire was getting pretty close to the house. I, I guess we don't have an update, but he, he had had to leave his cattle there because he wasn't able to move them and he had had to evacuate so quickly. He was only able to take his dog And it was just him and his dog, uh, essentially, when we talked to him, camping out in um, his truck and just waiting to see. When we talked to George, that was, um, actually, we talked to him different times. You interviewed him and then I, you know, showed up like five minutes later with the camera. But he was willing to talk, but 
when you bring out a video camera, I think it hmm. is a little bit more emotional for people. Um, cause you're writing down somebody's words. It's a little bit different than capturing like the catches in their voice on camera. Did you get to take much with you? Just once in the drive. And my dog, of course. And he was talking to me and, and I mean, you know, he was okay with, with us talking to him, but he kept kind of turning away and I think kind of choking up. That was like a really difficult, quick little interview, I think. Yeah, and Sam, you've done a lot of reporting through your career from small towns um, in Oregon or around the country. Um, and, you know, there's this, you know, stereotype of small towns, people look out for each other, people stick up for one another. But I mean, it seemed like that really played out uh, in force here in Oregon um, during the last week. Yeah, there is a sort of we'll take care of each other idea, I think, in a lot of small towns. Um, and that certainly played out um, in these very rural communities. They had firefighters fighting fires, but they also just had loggers and heavy equipment operators and other folks jumping in and um, putting down their own fire lines. Yeah, you had a pretty powerful story that hit on that theme of just normal folks stepping up. Um, and this wasn't the Riverside fire, right? This was down in Scotts Mills. And some of these folks were fighting fires in Colton and Malala and other small towns nearby. Uh, how'd you get on that story? This was a story that came to me kind of like friend of a friend sort of a thing. Um, you know, you have to because it's hard to it's hard to reach anybody officially in all of these towns, um, and so I, I got kind of put in touch with somebody who lives in Scotts Mills and was telling me about these incredible stories of of folks helping each other. It was actually more difficult than I thought to report this, and and I got more pushback than I had expected. What do you mean by that? You know, covering this kind of stuff has sort of broken me in a way that I didn't think it was possible. Um, I understand that there's a lot of distrust in the world, and there's a lot of distrust between rural people and urban people and all people in the media. And I kind of ran into that in the course of this fire reporting in a way, yeah, that really shook me that I wasn't expecting just where people um, were dismissive of your intentions because of where you work and and uh, what you do? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I got some really negative feedback from some people um, before the article came out. Um, after it came out, I got a lot of positive feedback from people. You know, part of our job is just to you know, ask people to tell their stories when they often don't want to and um, and they have no obligation to either. But it, it is frustrating um, and a challenge when when we're stiff armed for reasons that have nothing to do with I don't want to talk to you be because I just don't want to when it's based in uh, conjecture or falsehood or outright uh, misinformation. Yeah, I mean, I when I first came to Oregon, I moved to Tillamook, so I've been in rural areas, and 
you know, spent a lot of time in rural parts of the country. And I've never really had people just blanketly distrust the media in that way. Um, and it, it's not that, you know, you, you cover something that's tragic like this and you think maybe the reason people will be hesitant to talk to you is because they're still processing it. But that wasn't really what I ran up against. Um, there were certainly wonderful people in Scotts Mills who wanted to tell these stories of their neighbors um, and their friends helping each other out and were very excited to tell those stories. But then there were other people who just didn't want, just didn't want the Oregonian sticking its head in there. Um, I got a voicemail from a woman who I didn't talk to, had, didn't reach out to, just telling me not to write about this for whatever mm. reason. And then, like the other day, um, I went um, to uh, Clackamas United Church of Christ uh, here in Milwaukee, where a group called the Ewoks um, are setting up a um, aid station for folks who, who need anything. Maybe they've been evacuated or maybe they're houseless for whatever reason. And these are the medics who are usually at the Portland protests. And um, they were also quite distrustful of the media. Um, it's just, it's a real both sides issue. I know you don't like to say both sides, but this, this distrust is really both sides and it really has shaken me in a way Um you definitely hear about tragedies bringing people together and stepping up and helping their neighbors, but there is an undercurrent of of distrust uh, that I have never encountered in all of my years of reporting. And I've covered, you know, I mean, I was down in East Texas when Katrina happened. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just different. I don't know. It's kind of uh, I'm sorry. where we are as a... <laughs> no, no apologies. I mean, this is where we're at, at a, as a country right now. We're extremely divided. Um, and that's obviously going to affect us because we live here and, uh, this is our, our job that we do, our profession. Uh, Jamie, what, what has stuck out to you from your experience reporting down there? Cause you know, as, as we were just discussing, there's been some, um, you know, some pretty, uh, inflammatory things thrown around from, uh, people in the community uh, who who uh, maybe distrust the media and, and also, um, you know, rumors of Antifa uh, starting wildfires and things of that nature. You know, I didn't get a, a ton of um, pushback or or really any comments about anything related to Antifa when I was out reporting. I, I think I got, you know, on social media and in email um I, I was referred to a lot of reports in terms of the idea that some of these fires were started by uh, members of Antifa, which, um, as uh, officials have said, there's no truth to that. Um, but I think with my experience reporting out there, I I definitely encountered some people that didn't want to speak with the media, that didn't want to have their name out there, or, or really just didn't think it was a priority, which I, I think is absolutely fair at this time to tell their story when they're dealing with so many other um, issues within their own lives. Um, But for the most part, I I found people willing to talk, uh, willing to say what was going on and um, willing, willing to to talk with me. I, I I had one woman that was really thankful that we were out there reporting. Uh, She wanted, wanted to come over and give me a hug um, because we were out there, uh, which I, which I honestly surprised me. So I think, you know, there's a range of reaction 
um, to when reporters are out there, I think, um, in, in a time of crisis. Um, some people, well, obviously, reporters the last thing they want to deal with when they're worried about their losing their house. And I think in other cases, um, it, it's good to talk to someone and be able to share your story. Uh, so I, I think there was just a range yeah. uh, of reactions I received. Yeah, it can be cathartic for, for some people to talk. Um, so what, what uh, you know, this has been a devastating year on so many fronts um, with the, the wildfires and, and COVID on top of it. But, you know, a week out, what will stick with you from uh, your reporting down in Clackamas County? Uh, Sam, start with you. The first place that I went to when I was assigned to cover wildfires in Clackamas County was the Malala Train Park. I had done a feature story on them like years ago. And so I was then Facebook friends with the guy who is kind of the president of the nonprofit that runs it. And I'd seen on his Facebook page that he was out there, like trying to stop the fire from getting to the train park. So I messaged him and I was like, A, are you okay? And B, can I come out there? Um, So that was a little bit of a scary drive going out into that area. They're actually like outside of Malala proper in Shady Dell which is shady because it's covered with huge trees, (laughs) which is scary. Um, But I went out there and and spent some time at the park with Patrick while he was just sort of wetting everything down and kind of ready for his last stand. Uh, It was really dramatic. Um, And then coming out of that and seeing just the orange-red sky, um, just uh, I don't think I'll forget what that sky looked like. And as a happy note to that story, I have been staying in touch with Patrick and uh, the train park is, uh, as of now, is in really good shape. And Malala has been downgraded from a three to, I think, maybe a two. So uh, things are looking good for the Malala train park. Great news. Um, And Jamie, how about you? Yeah, I just just think I, I would agree with Sam that, you know, seeing the orange skies out there is really striking. And, um... It's scary to to see what it looked like uh, out in Clackamas County and even in, in areas that I, I think we're used to traveling through, um, the places that feel not so far from home. I, I mean, the people we're talking to feel like we're, we're in the same community as them. They don't, it doesn't feel like it's happening to someone far away. The, right. the amount that this impacted the state over the last week is... Um, it feels like so many people in the state were impacted. Um, I, I remember just driving out of Clackamas County, actually. Uh, this was the night that they uh, increased the evacuation levels uh, to level twos in Oregon City and Canby. And I think Malala went to a level three evacuation level. And Everyone was trying to get out of the county. I talked to some people that were uh, deeper in the county that said it took five hours to get out. Um, I was in the car, and just next to me, there was trailers with horses in them. Uh, There was one car I saw that was packed full to the point that I I think the two children were sharing the front seat and sharing a seatbelt, which I think you you don't want to do, but when you have no other choice and you're just trying to get out there um, and get as much stuff out there as possible... I think that was just a striking scene being in the car and and just seeing so many people um, from different parts of Clackamas County all just flooding towards Portland, just trying to get out as fast as possible, not knowing 
what was going to happen to their houses when the fire was going to reach, um, when it might or might not reach their cities. And um, I, I think that was a really emotional experience, just taking that in and, and what the county looked like on that day. Well, thank you both for being there and, and sharing these stories from from the metro area. It, it was just surreal and riveting and terrifying. And thank you for sharing people's stories, the, those who were willing to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing our stories of those stories. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a break. Now we'll hear from some Oregonians about their experience with the worst wildfires in recent Oregon history. First, Sandy Elwood, who grew up in Detroit, then Chris Brant of Blue River down in Lane County, and finally, Stephen and Leanne Cornell of Mill City. So yesterday I pulled into Detroit and I was, I was devastated just to see the, the, everything down and nothing there. And I looked over at the city and you could see where it was, it, all the buildings weren't standing. And I just wanted to, first I wanted to get down there and see my mom's property and in fact know that it was, was it, was it standing or was it not? No one knew. So I uh, drove, down, drove down there and took some video of that and then decided to take a video trip around the town so that everyone would have an idea of what their homes look like in this, at this particular time because no one knew. The un unknown was killing everyone. So that's what I did. There were so many downed houses that you really couldn't tell. There was nothing standing out. So I wanted to be able to point those out and let people know that this is your home. It's not standing or it is standing. I was raised in Detroit. I went to school there. I graduated high school there in 1987. And I moved away for a very short time after graduating, but I went right back buying a second home there. And my mom's been there forever. So my mom was still there. Much of my family's still up there. Most of the businesses in town were destroyed. Um, I think the Mountain High store was one building that's still standing. The post office is still standing. And part of the uh, lodge in in town, the, the um, motel is standing, part of it. The rest of it, the marinas, the other um, motels, the RV parks, most of that stuff was demolished. I maybe saw one house that had any bit of foundation or anything really standing, and that was because the home was built primarily from brick. So it had qu quite a bit of the wall standing, but everything else was, was completely down. Devastating. Hard to watch, hard to see. The church is, is gone. Um, the Cedars is gone. That was a, a trademark. That, that Cedars was started in the old town of Detroit, and it was my second place of employment. I worked there for several years, and many people did growing up in that mountain. And Detroit, many of us worked there in high school and out of high school. Our parents worked there, so it was, it was hard to see that. It was at the point that I shut... Well, at first I came up to my mom's place, and that was, that was hard. Um... But it was at the point I shut off the camera and just kind of sat down and shook my head and thought, what did I just see? And I had to go back through my own videos and watch because I was just racing around quickly. Uh, complete devastation and sad for so many. And, and I'll be selfish to say that I was primarily most sad for the people who those are the primary residents. Everything they owned and everything they had and everything they knew was inside those, those homes and they lost everything. And now most of them are, are homeless. I sat down on the seat of a vehicle and I cried. When I was just at the point of leaving, I just sat there and debriefed and just cried. And then going back down, just looking at all the, the debris and, and the thinking about all the sadness in that town and, and how is it going to rebuild and is it going to rebuild and what does that future look like and how, does it, how is it going to look? And I know that the new future will be different. It will look different. 
I did have to remind myself there's several homes up there that are still standing. So there will be some of the some of the old um, scenery, but there's going to be a lot of new, and the town will never look the same that it did. My mom, um, she was probably one of the last ones to vacate, which was stressful. Uh, but when we found out she did go, that was relieving. Um, her home, she has lived there most of her life on that very same property. And she had everything that was near and dear to her heart in that home. She saved everything. And she left, and all she took was a blanket and a pillow, her dog and her dog bed. Um, and I asked her, why did you only take that when you were one of the last to leave and you had extra time to go through things? She said she didn't take much because she thought she was going to go back home. So I think the reality wasn't sitting in with her either. And it was devastating to look and see that everything that she has in her entire life is gone, completely gone. I think we all will be processing this. I would hope that when we can get up there, I would like to take my mom up there and have her go through the property and see if there's any remnants of anything that we can find that maybe she can salvage and save as, a, as something, as a, you know, something, a, a souvenir of this tragic um, time. Uh, I hope that we can rebuild Detroit. I know it's going to be a long process and it's going to be it's going to be hard for many, but I hope that everyone has the love in their heart that I believe they do. And I believe that everybody will put forth their best effort to rebuild that community. And I do believe it's a strong community. It's uh, There's a lot of love in Detroit. And I think everyone will pull together for each other, with each other. And I think that the idea and the thought is to rebuild. It was a beautiful morning waking up. And then about 1230, the wind shifted. It was probably the strongest winds I've ever experienced up here. And it wasn't an occasional gust, it was just steady downriver wind. Trees were snapping all around us as we were sitting on the porch. The electric went out probably about eight o'clock, a little before nine. And we heard an explosion that was different than a tree dropping. And when I ran out on the back porch, I could see flames. I would have guessed it's a transformer exploding but I can't confirm. Shortly after that, our landlord notified us that we're on a level three evac. So we had two other tenants on our property that we woke up and told them the situation and we evac down to Blue River School. I came back up Wednesday with a friend and we were able to get in and assess our property. We we're in the transition of a move onto Dearborn Island. The island got hit hard, but all the homes are still standing. And it burnt right up to the house that we we're moving into on the island, but it's still standing. We're still fighting through different emotions. You know, you feel fine one minute and then it's kind of like, what's going on the next? But I think that's important time for us to join together because everyone's feeling those emotions. So you can just talk it out together as a community and we'll get through this. We were fire evacuated uh, Monday, night. Monday night and at midnight at midnight and the power power went out. Power went out. So was, then I got a phone call after the power went out. So I answered the, answered the phone and it was a, a, a level 11 or level three, three level three. So they should just grab all your stuff and get so. We were going to go on vacation. Yeah, we were packed to go we're on vacation. We were packed on vacation Tuesday, so we had one suitcase each packed. So we just grabbed that, grabbed the camper and the car, and away we went. Um, we did see intermittent um, homes 
gone, um, but not as bad as we expected to see. Mill, the, yeah, Mill, Mill, City, Mill City looked pretty well intact. On the Lynn, uh, Lynn County side. Yeah. Lynn County side looks pretty good. Uh, as we went further through and we're headed up towards Gates, we saw a lot more burned out. We've lived here since 1981. 81. We're, a lot of our friends and neighbors have uh, lost way more than, our, our home is still there. And we were told that um, there's a lot of, we know everybody. And there's a lot of people that, that we do know that have lost their homes and businesses. The businesses are gone. A lot of them in Gates are just gone. The yeah. hotel, Gates Hotel. Um, church. The church. The, the cannabis post, post store. The, the old post office. All of these um, historic places that have been there for years are just gone. God bless the Red Cross. They're wonderful. They're supplying so many things. Um, we didn't need anything except the clothes on our back. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. And a big thanks to my colleagues Fedora Zarhin, Brooke Herbert, Shane Dixon-Kavanaugh, Beth Nakamura, and Elliot News for contributing to this episode. If you like the show, please leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Or tell a friend. Help spread the word. Until next time.